Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Much guys, so great. Welcome, City Church. You may be seated. Uh, welcome to our friends on Zoom. So glad you are with us today. Uh, I am Bill White. I am one of the co-pastors of City Church of Long Beach, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining Him in the renewal of all things. And we're glad that we get to go on that journey together. Um, so today, uh, we are going to bless our kiddos. I think uh, Ming Lu, do you want to come up and pray for our kids? Today is a special uh, youth group day also. Yeah, welcome, Ming. Um, here you go. Um, it's also a youth group day, so for we'll dismiss all the kids here in just a second. So. Good morning. Lord, we pray for all of our youth, um, our children and uh, teens and preteens, and uh, we just pray that they would have a really blessed day today. And just as the Father's arms are open wide to us, um, let our church's arms and all the caregivers' arms be open wide to them. I pray that they would really receive the um, just compassion and um, unconditional love that we have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Ming. So if you're a kiddo in elementary or if you're in junior high or high school, you are more than welcome to head out with our fearless leaders where you'll have a glorious time, no doubt. Um, so we are in a new sermon series right now, just starting today, and we're looking at the book of Second Timothy, which is in the New Testament. It's one of those little letters that was written by Paul to a younger friend of his, and we're looking at this idea of friendship. Like, how, how does faith and friendship, how does that work together? And today we're going to talk about, in particular, the idea of mentorship. And so I'd like to invite up Nicole Makatrau, who's going to read scripture for us today, if you'd welcome Nicole. And here you go, why don't you take this one. Yeah, I'm going to hide this somewhere so I don't knock it over. <laughs> I'm okay. reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. 2 Timothy 1 through 5. People of God, this is the Word of God. You may be seated. Oh, you are seated. Well, there you go. That was easy enough. Oh, sorry. No, no, it was great. I forgot to ask people to stand. So, um, And so today we have a special guest preacher. Uh, and if you would please warmly welcome Larry Dove to join us today. So Larry is an old friend of mine. Larry, how... Huh? How long? Oh, Larry's still working on the sermon. He's kind of tidying up the last few points, maybe. Um, Larry and I have known each other for 20-some, 20... Some years, yeah. 20-something. So it's, it's been a minute. It's been a minute, and Larry has been a mentor to me in many ways. I've called him at a few key moments. Um, one of them was six years ago, seven years ago, That's when I called it. and said, Larry... I think I might need to uh, leave ministry permanently. I'm just so burned out. And Larry said, you, <laughs> you need an emergency sabbatical. And so the next day I called up our board and I said, I need an emergency sabbatical. And they said, yes. And it was great. So I appreciate you for that amongst many other things. I uh, know, Bill, anything so. <laughs> to get you for not to preach today, right? <laughs> That's right. Hey, they're, they're all feeling grateful too. So, so thank you, Larry. Okay. Bring it. Uh, yes. 
Thank you all for allowing me to be here today and to speak with you uh, as you divulge into this new sermon series about mentoring and coaching and community and so forth. And as Bill has said, is that you're in a position now that you're turning a corner. I, I understand that more people, particularly new people, are showing up here at City Church Long Beach, and you're trying to figure out ways, how do you engage them in community? And so one of the things that I've learned in, in my brief experiences here at City Church Long Beach, that this is a safe place. And I believe that's where community really starts with actually just being in a safe place so that you can be who you are without putting on any pretension or putting on any mask or so forth. And I think that, I think that when you find yourself being in a safe place, you find the more, uh, you find yourself being more authentic and accepting of who you are, of who you are, and that you don't necessarily have to tap dance to anybody else's labels or expectations, but that you can be comfortable in your own skin. The definition of a community is the feeling of a fellowship, belonging, acceptance uh, among people like ourselves and unlike ourselves too, that results in a sharing common commonality of attitudes, interests, and goals. Everybody here, everybody here, you have been involved in some type of community, one way or the other. And for the rest of your lives, you will always continue to be engaged in some type of communal, communal aspect of your life. And community is so critical because <clears throat> we see that in Genesis 1:27, when the Godhead comes together, in community, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they make a proclamation for our humanity. And they say, let us make God in our, I mean, let us make man, that, that word man is human, both, both human, let us make man human in our own image and in our own likeness. And so the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they commune together in community in order to present the best, the best of its creation, which is us today our humanity. And so it wasn't like the father just came up with an ideal, the son said, okay, but they all got together in a common and communal sense, so to speak, and they said, let us make humankind in our own image and in our own likeness. And so that is one of the reasons why community is so critical in our everyday walk and in our everyday lives. <clears throat> I uh, <clears throat> retired from pastoral ministry, uh, and again, I say pastoral ministry, I retired from pastoral ministry uh, about six weeks ago. And I asked myself, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do? And, you know, I just don't want to sit around and watch sports and, and do, a, you know, a little this and that and TV and whatnot. And so uh, I came up with the idea, also as prompted by the Spirit, that I want to mentor young ministers, I want to coach, and so forth. And as I thought about that, I thought about my journey of coming up to this point. And when we talk about mentoring, it's got to be more than just experience. It's got to be more than just experience. Now, don't get me wrong, experience is important. But I found out, but as I begin to kind of go back and research back, I began to understand that it was more than just about experience. It was actually about coming to grips with my self-worth, coming to grips that I have something to offer 
other people, and not just from the experience factor, but from who I am and how God has shaped and molded me, very much like he is very much, uh, uh, very much involved in shaping and molding you today. And so one of the things, uh, one of the scriptures that really comes to mind is that, that scripture that Jesus said, you know, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I've heard countless of, countless of sermons on love the Lord God. I've heard countless of sermons and to love your neighbor. But I've heard very few sermons on and love yourself. And yet the love of yourself is not lessened by the love of, for your God or the love for your neighbor. I think they're all equal. And, and I think for many of us, and particularly for me, is that the loving of self is, is the hard part. And the loving, and, and because we realize that there are a lot of imperfections that leak out of us. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, there's a lot of imperfections that leak out of us. And so it's very hard for us at times even to love ourselves. I, I, I've been dealing with this issue of inferiority uh, since I was about eight years old. It was instilled within me when my family went to Texas in 1963. That was during the Jim Crow time. Yes, I'm that old. Jim Crow time. And uh, I saw some white kids across the river playing baseball. And I asked my dad, hey, is it all right for me to go across the river and play baseball with them? And uh, he said, no, because those people, they don't accept our kind. And ever since that time, it, it implanted a, 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 a psyche within me. It's like, am I good enough? And so my self-acceptance, just was, I just struggled with it. My self-worth, I just struggled with it. Am I good enough? And I found myself compensating for this inferiority by becoming a people pleaser. In order to gain your acceptance or acceptance of my peers or whatever, I would just do anything. I would try to excel above and beyond in order to get your approval. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, I just nod at me every once in a while to get your approval because it didn't come from my dad, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But <clears throat> this issue of self worth was something that I struggled with for the majority of my life. And then I came into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then I came into the scriptures that dealt with my inferiority my self-imposed inferiority. There you go, Larry. Thank you. And it's in Psalms 139. And if you bring that up, if you can. <clears throat> and I read this from David. You created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Next slide, please. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my uniform body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. All the days 
ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It seems like that God knew me even before I was born and that my path, my journey, my destiny was already ordained even before I came out of my mother's womb. And so therefore, if you go back go to the prior slide, please. <clears throat> my frame was, uh, for you were created, for you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And I read that scripture and I found out one thing, that I'm not a mistake. And my blackness is not a mistake. And my blackness is not a curse. Is that my blackness is a gift. And even my imperfections are not to be considered a curse, but a gift. Because all of our imperfections are redeemable. All of our imperfections are redeemable. And I read that scripture and it lit me up and it liberated me. Because my self-worth, your self-worth is not predicated on somebody else's standards or expectations. Our self-worth, our self-acceptance is predicated on what God says about us. What he says matters. Not what the society say. Timothy is struggling with his self-worth. When you read the scripture and you read uh, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and I think Timothy is asking the same question that many of us ask ourselves too. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? The word Timothy means the one who honors God, and he had a believing Jewish mother and a Greek father. His mother and his grandmother, they taught him the old scriptures and thus instilling faith within God. Paul leads Timothy to Christ and he begins to mentor and coach him to become a leader in the church planning movement there in the Roman providence of Galatea. But Timothy is struggling. He's struggling because maybe he's having health problems. He's struggling because people are writing him off because of his youth and of his inexperience. The letter was meant to encourage him, to remind him, and perhaps it will remind us, that his value is not determined by the expectation or labels erroneously placed upon him. But Paul is encouraging him to step up to the plate, even in your imperfections, take your ministry seriously and see it as a long term. And then Paul reminds Timothy of the community where he comes from. Because the community where Timothy comes from is a great source of his self-worth and of his self-acceptance. And the community is involved with faith, love, and perseverance. If you bring up the next slide. And Paul says this, I am reminded, and I want to remind you of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that now lives in you. For this reason, verse 6, I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Paul actually encourages Timothy to reflect back to move forward. Did you get that? To reflect back, to move forward. And this reflecting backwards 
is referred to as remembrance. Notice what he says. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived into your grandmother Lois and into your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that now lives in you. Have you ever, I mean, all of us have perhaps had parents to some degree or another. And I remember, let me just say it personally, I remember there were some imperfections that my dad did that I said that I would never do. No, I will never, never repeat those things. Yeah, famous last words, right? <laughs> and, you know, and, and so when it comes to parenting and, 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 I'm, and I'm disciplining my son, I'm saying, why am I being so hard on him? Because my dad was hard on me. Even though I said, and I had, I had the intentionality, I will never be as hard on you, Marcus, as my dad was hard on me. But for some reason or another, I, I kind of just slipped into that stream. And I was hard on Marcus, and my wife had to bring it to my attention. You know, you, you need to chill out, Larry, when it comes to disciplining your kids. And for many of us, for many of us, we have our parents' traits embedded within us. And I will say it in three words. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. We have the good, we have the bad, and we have the ugly. Now the good thing, you know, the good that our parents instill within us, we embrace those. We want to run with those because they produce good results. The bad, eh, we can kind of tolerate that. Ah, tolerate that, right? But the ugly, we do not even want to remember. We don't even want to bring them up. We don't want to review them. But God uses the good, the bad, and the ugly for his redemptive purposes in our life. And I'll give you a story about that in just a minute. But for many of us, particularly when it comes to the ugly, we just want to bury it. We just want to... And so, and sometimes in our burying of the ugly, it, 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 it builds a wall around us. So therefore, we cannot become more in community with others. Or that if we find ourselves trying to share community with others, and that ugliness is revealed, we kind of want to step out of that community rather than being engaged in the community and dealing with the bad and dealing with the ugly. Because that is what shapes us and that is what molds us. The imperfections that God uses, to, <clears throat> God uses in a way to really mold and shape us to become more like Christ every day. Jesus did not avoid the ugly. It was right there in front of him. And he walked right into it. And the ugliness was perhaps revealed even on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You don't get any more uglier than that. But he does not avoid the cross. He goes to the cross out of obedience to his father's will. And then there was the bad with the Jewish religious leaders. They just could not see his way. But then there was the good of the 12 disciples that he mentored and he shepherded. I say to us today, God uses the good, the bad, and the ugly to shape us and mold us. But this remembrance is a gift. Why does remembering in the early years, why is this remembrance in our early years crucial to our self-worth and development? Number one, remembering the early years of how we were shaped and molded leads us to 
challenges us to lead and examine life. Challenges us to lead and examine life. Socrates says this, an unexamined life is not worth living. And for Socrates, I don't know if he was a Christian or not, but I got to say amen to that. (laughs) I got to give him his props. An unexamined life is not worth living. Folks, we cannot go hiding 365 every day because of the ugly or because of the, we just cannot do that. We've got to examine and we got to walk up to the good, the bad, and the ugly. I was uh, made the pastor of Celebrate Recovery at, at uh, my former, former church, and they had a 12-step program, recovery process. And I remember that when I was made the pastor, I said, yeah, that's for them, but that's not for me. But I'll pastor you folks anyway. And the more I got into that 12-step, it's like, they're talking to me. They're talking to me. They're talking to me. And the heart of the four steps, again, examining your life, the heart of it is step four, five, and six. Step four is soul searching, making a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five is about integrity, admitting to God and ourselves and to another human, being to another human, the exact nature of our wrongs. And then step six, if you get through step four, and if you get through step five, step six is acceptance. We seek to partner with God to remove all of our defects of our characters. But because step four is so hard, we would prefer not to even go past step four and maybe try to go around to step five and six. But you got to go through step four, make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Healthy communities, healthy mentoring and coaching invites others to live and examine life to, and to help them to move forward through the pus and pains of their life experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The path of freedom, and this is where I had to unlearn, the path of freedom sometimes means that we have to unlearn some unhealthy traits or thoughts that were deposited within our souls during our formative years. And I have learned that, I have learned that for some, and to some degree or another, it's not so much that accumulating more knowledge makes me a better person. Sometimes it's the other side of the coin, the equation of unlearning some bad things that were deposited within me. Because if we're not careful, we will just focus on the negative or we would try, or either focus on too much on the negative or try to focus on the positive that we hope that will drown out the negative. I think we need both of them. In fact, I know that we need both of them. The second, uh, excuse me, I got my notes here mixed up. Come on, no, not the, oh, that's the song. I don't need that song, okay. <laughs> the second deal about the gift of remembrance. Remembering early years helps us to notice the significant roles Others have played in the unique shaping of who we have become. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy, remember your grandmother and your mother. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So let me talk a little bit about that. Uh, Remembering the significant roles that others have played in the unique shaping of who we are and how we have become. For me, and I'm going to talk a little bit about my dad. My dad, the good part of my dad was that he was that he showed 
He, he raised me to dress good. He raised me to work on things. He, he raised me to not quit. He raised me in, in all the good part of that, okay? The bad part is that my dad was also an alcoholic. And so he, had to, he dealt with alcoholism up and down. The ugly part was, is that when he, became, uh, when he was drinking, he became physically abusive. And I was the target many times of his abuse, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think that when I, when I look back on that, I think I wanted to bury the ugly part about the abuse. I could tolerate the alcoholism, and of course, I embraced the good of, 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 the, of the good traits that he deposited within me. But then I think that, that that was a spillover when I talked about being racialized and so forth, because that was another ugly incident, and so I wanted to bury that also. And we come to find out that the more that we bury, the bury, we bury, we bury, the more incapable we, the more incapable we become of connecting and relating to other people. Because we got so much, I'm going to use the word manure, buried within us. <laughs> Is that a good word? That's a sanctified word. We got so much manure buried within us. And so that ugly part caused me not to even want to have any dealings to do with my dad. But then I had to, I had to walk up to it. I had to address it. And I remember that one of the things that, that the Spirit prompted me to do, invite your dad over to your house and let him spend the night. He was staying in a, in, in a halfway house and so forth. And I just did not want to do that because it would bring up those ugly memories. And, but I did it anyway. I did it anyway. And something broke within me. My anger for him broke within me. And not only did the anger break within me, but it, it also allowed me to be more open and to talk and to communicate and to relate. I think that because of that, it also had a, pro, a profound positive effect on my marriage because I would very seldom talk to my wife about my dad. Where's your dad at? How come you don't go see him? Ah, you know, he, I don't know. I'm going to have nothing to do with that, you know. But once I walked up to it, once I invited him, once he spent several weekends with us, that anger broke. That anger broke. That's what I mean, that God can take the ugly and redeem it. And in an uncanny manner, I think I loved him more in his latter days than I did when he was raising me. Now, you go figure that out. And if you do, come and explain it to me, because I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> That's just how God works. It's critical incidents in our past that contribute to ways of how we respond to events and relationships and the challenges of, our, the, challenges of, the, of the present. Paul has admonished Timothy to remember the community of his mother, his grandmother that shaped his character and leadership qualities and said, don't take them for granted. The third point that I want to talk about, the early years. Remember the early years challenges us to see to see, challenges us to see and embrace the past and already present action and love of God in our lives. Now, let me say uh, about this. I thought, erroneously, I thought that God entered my life and started turning it around and, 
and whatnot. I thought that that started from the day that I accepted Jesus. But the more that I thought and prayed and meditated, and the more that I look back, and I encourage you to do this, the more that I look back, I saw that God was always present in my life before I knew Jesus. He was already active in my life before I said yes. And he is active in your life from the day that you were born. He is always active. He's always present. He, doesn't, he just doesn't show up when we say, Lord, I got a problem. Can you bail me out? And then here comes God on his, you know, on his whatever it might be and say, yeah. <laughs> he is always present, always there. And he has always been present in a redemptive mode to turn the good and the bad and the ugly into something that is redeemable and works for our good and his glory. Examine your life. You want to become a coach or a mentor? You want to flourish more in community? Examine your life. And you will discover the Spirit of God will show you where he has been actively engaged in your life, in your children's life, in your grandchildren's life, even before you were born. He has always been actively engaged in our humanity in a redemptive manner. And if you will recall that, and that's what makes me more appreciative about God and his love for me, even when they said that, uh, even when I doubted my own self-worth, and I look back and I say that if God was with me when I was the most ugliest, then how much more is he with me when I know him in a more intimate sense. Amen? Amen. Remember the early years challenges us to embrace the past. Um, just, a short, just a short testimony, and then I'll be finished. So, <laughs> I talked about how I was racialized and so forth, and I ended up going to a predominantly white church, Emmanuel Reformed Church. That's where I met Bill and Katie and everything. And I had all this racial anger in me. I, I mean, it was just in me. And uh, you would think that God would send me to a black church so that I wouldn't have to deal with this racial anger within me. But he sent me to a predominantly white church. And I, I, I recall that over the years, I spent about 10 years, 12 years there. But maybe about the first three years, I really struggled. I, I, I just really struggled with community, trying to build relationships, because I had this embedded racial anger within me. And so, excuse me, white folks, whenever I saw white folks, it just kind of like mm, bubbled up. And, and so I would have conversations that were that long, or I'd send them offices that long, and so forth, because I, I was dealing with this issue of inferiority. Do I measure up? and so forth. But then God, by his, uh, by his sovereignty, he sent people, white folks. <laughs> no, let me back up. I remember when I told my wife that I, uh, that I was going to go to, uh, that God was leading me, not her, but leading me to go to Emmanuel. You know what she said to me? She said, Larry, I understand that you need to go to another church. I, I get that, but why has it got to be at a white church? 
And so I, I, I knew I had a war on two fronts, a war within me and a war with her, okay? But I, I just want to just say this, is that as I, as the ugly, as God revealed the bad and the ugly within, and I began to deal with it, I began to understand it, uh, and I began to look at it from a perspective of what the scriptures said about me, the self-acceptance became more and more pronounced. That I wasn't there to tap dance to the white people's expectations there at, at Emmanuel Church. I was there because God sent me there because of who I am. Who I am. And I want to encourage you as you move into this this, the beauty of community, many times I would say that for many of us, we would, we, we would like a, a homogenous community. Is that a word? Yeah, homogenous community. And I would say for City Church Long Beach, the diversity that you have here, you're not going to find everyone that looks like you, speaks the same language, eats the same food. And that's the beauty of community because it exposes your imperfections and allows the Holy Spirit to bring the healing and the wholeness that you need. It was one of the, one, if, if it was up to me, I would have never been at Emmanuel Church. I would have just went to a black church and, you know, skipped through the tulips. I'm good. I'm a black man and I'm good. Yeah, that's, that's how it's supposed to work, yeah. <laughs> but going to Emmanuel brought out the, the bad, the ugly, and, and the good, and I saw how God took that and made it for good and shaped me for who I am now. And so now I have a greater love for people from all ethnicities, from all languages, from all genders, from all, everyone. I just love you all, okay? And there's nothing you can do about that. God bless you, okay? <laughs> Larry Dove, you are such a gift. Um, so you can see, so Larry uh, came to that predominantly white church and uh, mentored me and a bunch of other folks there, which was, oh, I don't know about that, but, uh, and that's what, he, that's what he does here, right? He shows up and he says, look, hey, let me, let me teach you some things. Like, what a gift. Um, and he also, how long were you in, uh, in South LA? pastoring 10 years 10 years so the last 10 years you was at a black church yeah i was at a black right church. and you know there's this there's this dynamic like okay you go where god leads and and you keep and you've mentored in all kinds of settings and that's been a gift so um i want to invite some special friends up today who are new around city church uh, and so if you would welcome up the team from extraordinary families so rachel and lexley and danielle if you'd welcome them up I'm gonna get some stools here and okay all right there we go um so we want we were thinking a little bit about mentoring come on up come on up grab a seat um and you know how we like to share a story uh do a little live interview make it real like how, how do we do this stuff in real time and so we had this idea like Let's, let's invite up some folks who actually are professional mentors, right? And mentorees or mentees, I guess you say. Um, and so this is a group that has a connection 
with City Church. So a couple of our families have been involved with Extraordinary Families. Uh, it's where, so um, some folks know Rebecca Martinek Williams and her wife Annie. So they adopted Holden through Extraordinary Families and also the Valencia Adachis uh, fostered through Extraordinary Families. Oh, thank you, Kathy. Um, and so, so we've had some experience and uh, so we want to just talk with you guys, and we'll start with you, Danielle. So you work for Extraordinary Families. I do. Yeah. Oh, oh, we got to get you a microphone. Here, there. Sorry, you, Dove, you were, you were going to save me again. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, I have certain strengths and certain weaknesses. You know, <laughs> details. Good morning. <laughs> there you go. Hi. So, hi, say good morning. Yeah, so I work for the Up for Youth program. So what we do, um, we essentially provide a bunch of different services for uh, current and former foster youth between the ages of 16 and 26. Um, so within that, we do have a mentor mentorship program. Um, so we allow these guys, a lot of, you know, very giving people, people that are willing to, you know, kind of step up to the plate and um, just kind of be a good adult, a solid adult in, in a youth's life. Um, so we offer that opportunity to, to, yeah, to be there for these youth within the Upper Youth Program. I love that. Yeah. So great. Yeah, very good. Why don't you pass that to Lexley? So Lexley, I just want to ask a personal question. Where did you go to elementary school? Here. Come on now. Don't you love that? <laughs> Lexley went here to, to Lafayette. So, um, so you have been in this program for a little bit with uh, Extraordinary Families, right? Correct. As a mentee, is that right? Yes. So you came up through the foster care system a little bit. You've been in it for, or were in it. I've been uh, in the foster, I was in the foster care system for about the age of maybe 13, 14, mm -hmm. until I aged out at the age of 21. Gotcha. Okay. But you're still connected. Like, yes. Like why? And like... Um, I'm, the reason why I'm so connected with a, like a bunch of programs like Extraordinary Family mm -hmm. is because they've been able to help me and my son out with mm. uh, housing, uh, resources, mentor. Um, so it's been very, very helpful to um, still engage with those programs. Yeah. Um, like the, I'm actually in a way of volunteering to create homes for the for former current um former or current foster youth more formal right i would say um is like building their first home really? is a an, an organization that uh helps them have a home you know they like decorate their whole studio apartment house whatever it is right and you've been helping with and that and i've so? been i've been doing that like it's awesome. been um as, as uh, some of them say, like, they make foster use, uh, you know, bad and stuff like that, but not all of them are. Yeah. And it's like the fact that um, people are starting to, see, you know, see more of what other foster youth are, like myself is, mm -hmm. you know, a good thing because it's like, a light that's you know opening and shining more on those other um, guys and girls that are actually trying to do something with their lives. Mm, like so you know, we not not all of us picked in um, the hand that we were dealt. 
you know, uh, as I was, I was just telling um, Danielle, uh, my life, of course, I was in Benizi, and for a minute, I would, I felt very overwhelmed earlier, so I had to step out um, because a lot of stuff just came to my mind. Yeah. Um, just even being here, you had to stay. Yeah. I'm so glad yes. you. Good job taking care of yourself and giving yourself some space. That's great. So, it's like there's, um, you know, the fact that programs like Extraordinary Families is, you know, providing or, um, you know, giving mentors to someone like myself is, is something meaningful, something that um, is important mm -hmm. because there is times where like, it, yeah, I'm 29 now, but don't get me wrong, there's still times where like, I need like advice or help or, you know, like I know Rachel, she has helped me with, you know, be with my son because I was having problems with his school. And, you know, she was able to, you know, be there for me. She couldn't make it to some of the meetings, but it's like, it's okay. But I know she was reaching out in email. She was reaching out in text messages and you know trying to support me get my son what he needed in school i love that can you want to pass it to rachel so rachel your role with this organization you're, you're technically a mentor is that yeah yeah uh so I, i've done a few things i've helped with charity fundraising and then joined the program and like i mentioned the word mentor is a bit you know, I don't know. It's a place you go to help somebody and support them. You don't like the word mentor. I don't like the word mentor. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a weird. It, there's a hierarchy to yes, the word, which yes, you know, yes. kind of maybe there's another word to be used. But. Yeah, yeah. So you, how do you think of what you do in this relationship with Lexley? Sure. Um, I think uh, different people, obviously, you know, being in a church, I would imagine uh, many of you have helped in different ways and um, there's different like kind of a mental state and a place in life you want to be um, when you're going to mentor because it's a huge responsibility. Um, and for me, kind of the place I was at when I started it, I was like, I was stable, I was doing well. <clears throat> and, and to contextualize this, I'm from Canada. And I've done uh, like volunteer work and support with with youth programs in Canada for for years, probably 15 years. I mm -hmm. did an education fund there, and I helped in very different ways. Um, and when I came here, this is um, it's it's tough because the country operates like a corporation, right? So and the way that your charities operate is different. So the way I wanted to support changed. Mm -hmm. So um, I wanted to do one on one because I felt like it could make more of an impact. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I have a bunch of useless information in my brain that I thought maybe I could like help somebody with. Um, <laughs> and and I've been a direct. Um, uh, I've directly benefited from support in Canada. So like I moved out when I was really young and um, I went to an alternative school and that school was just this amazing and phenomenal bridge. And it was a triangle school. I'm, 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 I'm straight, but you know, it, going to a triangle school, which back then was like a gay positive school mm. was huge. And they didn't have counselors. They had, they called them street workers. And so the dynamic changed. So yeah. I got that support and without it, I wouldn't be here. So. It can be as simple as like, I don't know how to fill out a passport or like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm a, a semi intelligent person and I get frustrated every day. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm fairly mentally balanced. Like, yeah. you know, I've got a job and stuff. Yeah. Um, so if I can, you know, help somebody in that way, yeah. then I feel like I'm adding value to the world. So, so you kind of grew up and you realized, man, a lot of people poured into me and came through for me. And that really kind of saved my butt. Yeah, it was, uh, this is like a good story, is my uh, my old boss, we were having a dinner party. I was like, I'm probably about, about your age. I was having a dinner party, we're talking, whatever. And I was talking about the alternative school that I went to. And it was just this school that treated the, the students like, um, I don't want to say it was like a concierge service, but the, the service was geared specifically to each of those youth and whatever they needed to do to get through to high school, mm -hmm. right? So uh, one of the, the you know, street workers, um, his name was Rico. When I was in my teens, one of the kids came to school with a gun and it was kind of up to no good. And uh, he ended up being, it's a long story, he ended up being arrested because he tried to get the kid off the property at school, but the kid had lied on his um, application and he was actually around 15. Um, so they called the cops, he found out, and then Rico intercepted and said, we had to wait till the parents are here before you can arrest this kid. Kid and Rico ends up being arrested. We organize a whole protest for him. <laughs> we are just unimpressed by this whole situation. And, and you know, we were quite young. Anyways, it happened, the, the news people came, the whole, you know, whole, kit and caboodle we got him out of jail because we just shamed the precinct so much so they're just like get out of here we don't want to deal with this um and for the following years he was just such an integral person to me so cut to like 20 years later i'm at this dinner party my um boss opens up a drawer i'm telling him the story and there's clippings from this mm. this incident he's friends with rico oh wow and the whole thing you know was full circle yeah. i ended up seeing him again and and for for you know as i thought it was inconsequential but it was momentous to me and it was equally as momentous to him like what had transpired and i was you know i was such a young kid so and i only knew him for a couple of years so if i can serve you know if i can help you with anything if you can give back yeah yeah right. and we may not received? be in each other's lives for for very long right it could yeah. be a minute it could be 10 years whatever it is but I'm here to kind of, you know, remove barriers. And then she's also there to like check me and put me in my place and, and make me um, appreciative mm. and aware of the privileges that I have as a human. Okay. And, you know, when, you know, you're in a city with not just Lamborghinis everywhere, but they're like fire green, you know what I mean? Like the gregarious nature of like this, you know, the surrounding areas are here can really kind of distort your perceptions yeah. of reality. So when you have somebody like Lexley to anchor you and bring you back to earth a little bit, it's, it's very important, so. There you go. Lexley, if you could summarize in one sentence, because we gotta wrap up here, like what's the best part of having a mentor? The best part of having a mentor, in my opinion, is that, um, you know, when, like with her, like I've had a bit of a bond, um, you know, connection because not everyone really connects with their mentors. Uh, it would be like when you do have that connection, it's like the things you do is like unlimited, hmm. and it's it's meaningful, it's powerful, it's it's all sorts of stuff that you know one feels when they have been alone, when they have had no one. Mm -hmm. um, so it plays like a big impact in, mm -hmm. in one's life. That's so great, thanks so much. Uh, and Danielle, um, like if anyone wanted to mentor, like could they do that like officially through your program? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll be hanging out at the end of service at a table out back. If you have any questions about it, the only requirements are that you are 18 and over and that you're willing and able to commit to being in someone's life. Um, yeah. That's about it. And, and we'll we'll learn more about extraordinary families over time. Uh, it's a sort of an agency we're starting to partner more with as a church. Um, but would you thank these guys for coming and sharing a little bit of their lives? Thank you guys so much. What a gift. What a gift. Uh, and I'd like to invite Paul Heilman up. Paul's going to offer a prayer here. Um, 